Um, you know, today we're kind of approaching the end of Revelation and the end of Scripture, uh, the canon, right? And we're on chapter 20 today. Um, and I think this, this message, this moment here is such a pivotal moment. It's the culmination of all the things and uh, there's going to be this final judgment. And before this final judgment takes place, uh, Satan is going to be defeated. And to take us through Revelation 20, um, I'm going to break it up into three parts. And the first thing, it will be, you know, Satan's defeat. The second will be the attributes and the final judgment of God. And the third point will be the unrelenting grace that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, um, church, uh, will you bow your heads and will you pray with me? Father, we, we thank you for your word. From the beginning of Genesis to the end, Lord, it is so rich. It is so deep. There are things, there are many things that are so much greater than what we can comprehend. But you did not leave out what we needed. You did not leave us to ourselves to figure it out as you sent us the Holy Spirit. And Father, Lord, we ask you and you're the Holy Spirit to be near to us now as uh, we cover this chapter. I pray that you would use me, that I would not get in the way of your word, but that your word would pierce and encourage your church. So, Father, we ask for your help. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, please open up to Revelation 20. And um, I'm going to start from verse 6. Uh, and I, and I want to read it. And I was trying to think about how I can break this up, but I'm just, I, I just want to read it. So, if you have your physical Bibles, please uh, read along. If you do not, um, there will be uh, a screen right behind me. Revelation 20, verse 6 to 15. Church, hear now the word of God. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and he will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened which is the book of life. 
and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the word of God. You know, uh, when I was in elementary school, um, till this day, I remember a very distinct conversation I had with my mother. And it went something like this. I was like, Mom, if the Bible tells us to love our enemies, shouldn't we pray for and love Satan? Because he's like the greatest enemy, right? Because if Satan changes, doesn't that solve everything, right? He's like the big problem, right? Like, he's the greatest enemy. Shouldn't we pray for him? Wasn't I such a cute theologian in elementary school, right? But, you know, my heart and my intentions were, you know, good. Uh, But what I didn't understand then was that he's not the greatest enemy of God or to me. He is not primarily responsible for my sins against God. I am. Satan's only power are his lies. But mind you, he's masterful at lying. And, and, and you know what? When I see Satan, I don't see necessarily this great enemy of God. When I see Satan, I see the ultimate fruition of sin. And what that fruition looks like is someone who is so desperate to oppose God, no matter what the circumstances are, to the very end. That is the ultimate fruit of sin. That's what I see in Satan. Now, Imagine that uh, the Bible is like a movie, and here we are in, in Revelation 20, like the epic battle is finally going to come, okay? The climactic moment, right? The, 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 all, the, the great army is ready to siege, and it's outside the city walls, right? If anyone has watched movies like Lord of the Rings, right, and they're standing there, and they have to, they're the last stand, and these orcs and, and these trolls and with weapons, and there's tens of thousands of them outside, right? And then, you know, there's this, like, incredible battle that takes place, right? And, uh, and what's really interesting is God even releases Satan for a little while. And Satan goes out to gather this horde because he's going to make this One last push, one last attempt to oppose God. And you know what's really interesting? Satan does not have a very difficult time finding people to stand with him. When we look at Revelation 20, verse uh, 7 to 9, it says, After the thousand years have ended and Satan was released from prison, he came out to deceive the nations from the four corners, and he gathered them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. 
okay? Uh, not just the sand of the beach, right? <laughs> That's a lot of sand. Uh, there's a lot more ocean and sand in the ocean, in the sea, uh, friends. And just, just, just imagine that. So, you know, whether Revelation here is being symbolic or literal, just there's a great mass of those who will oppose God at the end of time. There's a lot today. But just imagine this massive army. And, uh, you know, we didn't read this part, but in the beginning of chapter 20, the way Satan is bound in the beginning of this chapter is by some angel. And not by God or Jesus themselves, but this illustration reveals that Satan is not some great enemy of God. He is just another creation. Satan or any unrepentant sinner, we're no great enemies of God. Psalm 35 says this, enemies of God and those who are evil are like chaff before God. Do you guys know what chaff is used for or what chaff does really well? It blows away or it easily lights on fire. That's it. There's, there's nothing powerful about a chaff. And I want to think that Satan must have, he must have had some idea of what incredible mismatch he was to God, yet he pursues. He readies for battle. And he gathers everyone from the four corners of the earth, the numbers like the sand of the sea. Just, just, just visualize the greatest collection of evil army ever. And how is Satan defeated? There is no great battle and sweat from God's brow. It's over in one swift blaze. It's very anticlimactic, actually, right? Uh, but the truth of the Bible, you know, if this was how the movie ended, it would be, ter it would be a terrible movie. But in Scripture, there is no one like our God, no one who matches his power. And we see that here. And um, we're going to go into our second point, and this is going to be a, a heavy point. We, let's, let's talk about the attributes of God and the judgment of God. You know, the, you know, we just talked about how all-powerful he is. He can create something out of nothing. He can just consume one of the greatest army in a moment with the fire from heaven. You know, uh, you guys know the three omnis of God, right? God is omnipotent, he is omniscient, he's omnipresent, right? And for those who don't know what those mean, omnipotent is that God is all-powerful, omniscient means that he's all-knowing, and omnipresent is that he can be everywhere and anywhere. He desires to be all at once. And, uh, and we see the glimpse of God's power you know, with just his will, he consumes the greatest army to be ever assembled. But let's check out what God does next after he throws Satan and all, his, all of his associates into this lake of fire. Will you look in Revelation 20, verse 11 to 15 with me? This is what God does next. This is the vision that John sees. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence... Earth and sky fled away, 
and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. God uses his power to strip everything away from his presence on this great white throne. Okay? It's, it, it's said right here, from his presence alone, the earth and sky flee, and the sea gave up the dead. Can you just imagine that? Okay? Th- this is what it means. From God's presence, the earth and sky, the sea, everything just stripped away, meaning that every single dead person from this battle from as recent from this battle to people who were from the beginning of times in Genesis, every single dead person who opposed God, uh, they are resurrected from their first death. Okay? Now let's go over some key terms. I think these are some really important terms for us to know. Uh, right before the defeat of Satan in verse 5 and 6, Revelation 20, 20 speaks about this first resurrection. So let's discuss what first resurrection and first death is. I believe that the first resurrection is when we die. And what makes us the image of God, what makes us special, uh, is that we have a soul. And in this earth, we have a soul and a body. So when we die, our body is left behind to rot but our soul goes into the heavens, okay? Um, And basically, in that heavens, it's not the final heaven, but our body and soul is separated, and our soul is in heaven. That is first resurrection. Then, what is first death? Well, first death is similarly someone who died, but this person was unrepentant. So, like us, the body and soul is separated but their soul goes to Sheol, or Hades. And this is a temporary place, but it's a place of torment. And as they are tormented, they're waiting for the final judgment. And that is the first death. So it's the separation of soul and body. One goes to heaven, one goes to Hades. Okay, so back into Revelation 20, God resurrects, Every single soul to have ever lived, as the earth and sky and sea gives them up. There's there's no place for anyone to hide or to dodge this resurrection. And what's really crazy here is that their soul and now resurrected bodies, not the same bodies that they had when they died, and whether their bones were scattered, whether they're under the sea, God is going to reconstruct their resurrected bodies. The body and soul becomes one again. Revelation 20:12 says, "I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Great and small, they're all standing there, and these books are open. And the Bible tells us that it is from these books that they will be judged. And what the books recorded was how they lived, what they did. And this is kind of where we can see God's attribute of his omnipresence and omniscience. He saw everything. Everything is recorded in his books. 
Like, did you have that classmate in college or grad school or you know, whatever education level that you're in, where that you have that one classmate who takes like perfect notes verbatim? God is even greater than that student in your classroom. He wrote down everything. Every single sin that they committed and how they lived. Not one detail missing. And as every single person is standing before the throne of judgment, it's not a trial. You don't get to make a plea and say something. It's a sentencing. It's the final judgment. And, and, and from books upon books of each person's life and their living, no one will have a single excuse as they stand before God. And let's get into it. Let's talk about hell. Not only would there be no excuse, but do you know that how they lived will determine the degree of punishment and torment they will receive in their second death? And I'll explain what that second death is in a moment. Uh, Reverend John MacArthur, uh, he said that there are different degrees of torments in this lake of fire, and it's based on how you live. And uh, what he says is, God didn't create this just great big pit, and he throws all the sinners and unrepentant in there, and it's a general punishment, like, oh, you all just suffer there. No, there's levels to this. And he gives uh, many examples, but I'm going to just use three. Okay, Matthew 10 14 and 15. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. People who reject the gospel in comparison to those who were judged living in Sodom and Gomorrah. You know why? You guys know why they got judged, right? They lived a wild, lustful, sexually inappropriate lives. But they didn't know better, and they didn't have the gospel back then. And the Bible says people who reject the gospel will have it worse, it says, on the day of judgment than the people who didn't know better. Interesting. Well, let's go to Luke 12, 47, 48. It says this, The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. This means that someone who is religious and you go to church, you read his word, and you know about God and you know about the gospel, yet you are rebellious, you are unrepentant, and you continue to not follow God's call for you and not do his will, you will receive many more blows than someone who has never known. It's clear. There's levels to this. 
But let's go to one more, Mark 12, 38 to 40. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. The most severe punishment is reserved for preachers and teachers who seek honor and pleasures of this world, who preach falsely, uh, who make everything into a show, and they take advantage of the weak for their own gain. I better be really careful because false teachers will receive the most severe punishment on the day of judgment. Well, I think the most severe punishment is going to go to Satan, Hades, uh, those guys. But for us, there's levels and there's tears. And, you know, and, and there are levels to these punishments, but please do not mistake it and feel glad for someone who may have the lowest form of punishment. Okay, so this person never heard about God, and this person was just in the wilderness, and there was no way for this person to know, so at least that person's torment will be small. Torment is torment. Eternity is eternity. That's not what we celebrate, the lesser degree of punishment. Each and every single individual who chose to live their way, refusing to know their sins against God, in their life without repentance, they will all be thrown into the lake of fire alongside death and Hades. As now, Hades has been emptied. They've all been resurrected. Death, there is no more need for death after the final judgment. All of it thrown into the lake of fire. God gives them the resurrected body to every single one of them a resurrected body so that they can endure this torment where there is gnashing of teeth in the lake of fire for all eternity. Revelation 20.14 says, this is the second death. So the first death, our body and soul is separated, go to, go to Sheol or Hades, there's torment there, but there's waiting. But on the day of the final judgment, God calls forth every single person, gives them a resurrected body, a body and soul becomes one, thrown into the lake of fire for eternal tormenting. That is the second death. This is God's final judgment to them. And it's terrifying, is it not? But there's another judgment to be had, and it's for another group. And we can see this in Revelation 20, verse 12, towards the second half. It says, then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And how are the saints, how are the brides of Christ, how are we judged? And I think 2 Corinthians 5.10 will help us. If you look at 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, For we must all appear 
before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. I think another one that helps us is Romans 14, 10 and 11. It says, For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. For us, there is another book. It's a different book. And it's called the Book of Life. And that's precisely what it is. If your name is in this book, you will have eternal life. And with your resurrected body, with your soul now, you are to enjoy the new heavens and the new earth with our God. So we too are giving resurrected bodies, but it's for a completely different purpose. And as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, uh, it says, we will also reveal how we have lived. So all of our accounts will be brought up as well, church, good or evil. Okay, just, 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 just let that settle in for a minute. Everything that we have done, we will have to give an account for, and it will be recorded. But what makes our judgment infinitely different from the previous one is that you know, what we did that was sinful and evil is not going to be used as a measure of what kind of punishment we're going to receive for all of eternity. No, that's not what it's for. Um, no matter how evil, how sinful, no matter how many times you committed that sin, as long as we repented and came to Christ, we will see that account but then we're going to see it all disappear and be wiped clean by the blood of Jesus, our slain lamb. We're going to see it all wiped completely clean. But we will see that it was recorded. But wiped clean, so we're not going to get judged. And church, can we just take a moment, can we just like take this in? The unrelenting grace and mercy that came in the form of love saves us from second death. It wasn't just so that our soul gets separated and, oh, I don't want to go to that Hades place. We're talking about second death here. That's what we were saved from. Eternal torment based on every single thing that you have done, said, and thought of. Not a temporary torment but an eternal one in the lake of fire. Church, do you get it? Do you understand this? Do you understand the weight of judgment that Jesus took on for your sins and mine? The judgment we just discussed where God strips the earth of everything so that no one can hide and everyone will face everything that they have ever done that judgment that threw Satan and the beast and the dragon and all those who were un unrepentant into the lake of fire, it was that judgment that was spared from us because it was brought down onto Christ himself. Amen? 
how humiliating and painful it must have been for Jesus to take on that cross. When he got flogged, when he got spit on, when he got laughed at, when they put that stupid crown on his head to mock him, when they nailed him to the cross, I think we can picture that. And we can imagine that, right? But do you know that's not what he feared? He knew the reality that it was God's wrath and judgment that would be poured onto him. Judgment that was meant for us. Church, when Jesus died on the cross and took on God's wrath and his judgment on our behalf, it wasn't a general forgiveness, church. Okay? Um, Just like when the books record everything that the unrepentant sinners have done, every single one of your sins and mine, very specifically, not one missing, that's the level of, that's the kind of salvation I'm talking about. Just like God doesn't throw all the unrepentant people into a general pit and they all get generally punished. No, there was a very specific, unique punishment based on what you have done. But that salvation is as powerful and beautiful in that it covers every single one of our sins. Uniquely. It's incredible. Every account that we're going to give to God. Can you imagine how humbling it's going to be when we stand before that throne and we're going to look at, we're going to see Jesus there and it's going to be like, he died for you for this and this and this. And I'm just picturing my section. It's going to be long. And as each sin and all my accounts of my wrongdoing and sin gets brought up, I'm just going to be like, oh. And that, yes, and, and, and there was that. I don't know how long it's going to take. But based on how I lived, I'm going to look at Jesus and be like, I can't believe you did that for me. And what could I do? And what could I say as I'm standing there? And all I can do is own that it was my fault. It was my sins. And ask Jesus, forgive me. And that's what I prayed as I was preparing the sermon. Like, Jesus, forgive me. You have forgiven me, and, and yes, you, you've put me in the book of life, and that is the greatest gift, but I still continue to sin today. Forgive me. And when I prayed that prayer, his mercy and grace has never been far. And it always has been abundant. And I will praise him for the rest of my life here in this earth. I will praise him uh, in my first resurrected life, assuming that Christ doesn't come back in my lifetime. But when I die and my soul is in the heavens, I will praise him there. And when Christ returns and I am given my resurrected body, to be with him for all eternity, I will praise him for all eternity. And I'll end with this, and I'd like to invite the praise team to come up. I will praise his name and sing hail to the king forever and ever. But there's more. 
as it mattered very uniquely in how the unrepentant lived, you know, they, they, their book was basically a book of works. There was no faith there. So they're only judged by what they've done. Uh, it also matters how the body of Christ, how we live. Church, it matters how we live. Every sin he wiped clean, but also every good work we do in his name, God will even reward us. I can't believe it. God, how can you reward us when you have taken that judgment from me and you have given me eternal life, but yet you choose to reward me on top? He does. It says in Romans 2, 6, he, and this is talking about God, will render to each one according to his works. The greatest gift being eternal life in the second resurrection, yet God rewards. How we live, no matter which side we're on, whether we're the unrepentant or the repentant, it matters a lot, does it not, church? I want to ask you a question. How are you living right now? And maybe more importantly, who do you truly live for? How are you living right now? And who do you truly live for? Now, good works we do in Jesus' name does not bring us salvation, but it helps us to realize how we are really doing. It really does. It helps us. So I'm not saying, guys, only by grace, only by Christ alone are we saved, but in our good works as we obey and follow him, we can see an accurate reflection of how we're doing in His grace. In church, I worked, I, I feel like I can say this, I, I've worked hard. I've worked hard. You've worked hard. But oftentimes, I worked hard, oftentimes not for just the sake of God's kingdom, I worked hard a lot of times for myself out of duty and obligation. And one thing that I was really ashamed of myself was even as a pastor, and you know what, it doesn't even matter if I'm a pastor, as a Christian, as someone who has given something so precious as the gospel of Jesus Christ, I, I feel like I have not shared that enough with people all around me. My evangelism portfolio feels light. And for me, it feels weird that, wow, I worked so hard and put in so much time to do something that I can do when something that I can never fix or undo was done for me on the cross and that I get to share something that I didn't have to go up there and receive that judgment. Christ did that. And that I can take that good news and bring it to someone else. But it's so much easier for me to just work hard. Church, no matter how good of a person, and how hard I work, I don't think that's worth living and dying for. 
But for the sake of the gospel, truly, that's worth living and dying for. Your works can never save you, can never save me. But it's by Christ and grace alone. And, and how we live surely should give us a good reflection. But church, I want you to realize that when we look closer at the gospel of Jesus Christ. Guys, this gospel, guys, it's so beautiful. It's so deep. Please do not ever just take it from the surface level. But when we get close to it and we draw near to it, you're going to see that it did indeed come at the highest price. And I've contributed to that price a lot. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace, for your patience, for your love for us. Church, let's, let's pray. Father, we, um, we thank you by beauty of your scripture that you will not take back that you will not change you will not take away your promises you will not take away your salvation for us Jesus thank you forgive us forgive me when you gave us something so precious, it's so much easier to do what we want. But I pray that we have a, a little better understanding of your power, your knowledge, your presence, and not one thing gets past you you judge justly but your salvation Lord is so abundant penetrate our hearts Lord pray for our church. May we take this. May there be change. May there be growth. May there be obedience. Not, not for the mere sake of the extra reward, but because we understand better. And we want to love you more. Because you first loved us. We thank you, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.